I greet you in the name of Jesus again and look forward to spending this time with you together in the Word. I haven't said this the last couple of times, but again, I invite you to grab your Bibles and grab uh, maybe a piece of paper if you want to jot some notes down as we go through this. Uh, I have been sort of uh, have this recurring theme going where I am inviting you to take a long view of things, to take time to prepare, not just for what's coming next week, but for what's coming uh, uh, longer down the road and to, and to uh, endure through this and to, and to dig down and give you, get yourself back to the basics of following Jesus, preparing yourself for something. And today, actually today and next week, I really want to spend some time talking about uh, why I'm doing this. And, and I want to let you know, uh, this is not, some, I'm not asking us to do something. Well, first of all, I'm not, I'm not asking us to have an attitude that the Bible itself doesn't ask us to have, but I'm also not asking us to have an attitude or to do something uh, that is uh, out of character with God himself. As we're going to see in uh, the text uh, today, uh, what I'm exhorting us to do, which is to, is to endure, which is to, to be bold witnesses and, to, and to, uh, uh, to keep ourselves focused on what really matters and to store up treasure in heaven and to wait and to wait and to wait until that day comes uh, when, when we will re- receive the true fullness of what Jesus has done for us. Uh, I'm just asking us to do what God himself is in fact doing. Let me show you what I mean. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to the letter uh, that Peter wrote, the second letter that Peter wrote, 2 Peter chapter 3. Now today and next week, we're actually going to walk through the entire chapter. We'll do part of it today and we'll do the rest of it next week. 2 Peter chapter 3, the the main focus of this chapter as Peter closes out his second letter is on what he calls the day of the Lord and what will happen uh, when the day of the Lord comes and what we should do in preparation for that. So that's where I want to walk through with you there. So follow along. Today, I'm going to read the first 10 verses of 2 Peter chapter 3. I'll just read through them and then we'll go back and make some comments about them. Peter closes out his second letter this way. He says, This is now the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance." But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Now, I want to make two very simple points today. 
Those two things out of this text, the two simple points are this. The first is the certainty of the promise. And the second is the incredible gift of grace that God has given to us. So let's turn our attention first to that first item, the certainty of the promise. You see, we're in a situation, uh, and if you ever read through scripture and have ever noted that the early apostles, the early believers, the early church, all of them were looking and expecting for the return of Jesus Christ to come somewhat immediately, almost right away. As soon as Jesus ascended into heaven, they were beginning to expect that he was going to come back out of heaven and take them home. And in fact, this has been the, the mindset, the the position of believers ever since then. And it hasn't happened yet, right? That was a couple of thousand years ago, and it hasn't happened. And I would tell you, now first of all, a little aside, I would tell you that that's exactly the position and the the mindset that God wants believers to have. But we see something else happening as we, as we walk through that. And in fact, Peter refers to this. He says, you know, when, these, when time goes on, people will begin to scoff and say, well, you know what? Where is this coming? What are you talking about? You who are spending all your time living holy, righteous lives and restricting yourselves and, and, and just really making life difficult for yourself. Why not do what you want to? Why not live how you want to? Why not, as, as the saying is, why not eat, drink, and be merry? Or, and maybe we want to wrap this in today's context, when this stuff is going on and they might look at us and say, you have this hope, you have, look at what's happening. There's this unstoppable virus, this force. There's this fear and panic. We don't know what to do and there's nothing that can save us. And you're going to pretend that you have this this invisible God who says he's going to come and take you and keep you safe. What is all that about? Scoffers coming with scoffing, scorning thinking, what are you talking about? Look what, look around you. Nothing has changed since the beginning of time. And Peter says, let me remind you, let me remind you, brothers and sisters, that the world was formed by God's word and out of water it appeared. The, he separated the waters and the earth came and he began to form dry land and, and, and the continents and the trees and the flowers and, and the, the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and all the things, all the life that was teeming on. And humans, God established that. And it was done by his word. That's the key there. He says uh, that it was by God's word. And then he says, let me remind you of this, friends. That when God began to say in the days of Noah that the generations, the people had become evil and I will destroy them, he says that day came. Maybe not right away, but that day came by that same word and through that same water, God destroyed the world as it was known then. Now, Peter says, look at those. And he says in verse 7, But by the same word, the same promise that God has given, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Just as it was true in the days of Noah when God said, I'm going to destroy the world by water, so it is true that God has said, I will destroy the heavens and the earth by fire. They are being kept until this day of judgment, until this day of destruction of everything that is ungodly, everything that is against God. But it will happen. He goes on to say, down in verse 10, that this day, and he calls it the day of the Lord, it will come like a thief. 
He references the fact that it will come like a thief when you don't expect it. Jesus, of course, used those same words. He said, if you knew when the thief was going to come, of course you would you prepare yourself and, and barricade yourself up and make so it's not possible for him to break in. But you don't know. That's the whole point of a thief. He comes when you don't expect. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and all the works that are done on it will be exposed, will be shown for what they are. Everything that's ungodly will be exposed and be presented for judgment. Friends, I want you to know that Peter is reminding us, that God's word is reminding us, don't lose sight of the fact that just like God said, this will happen with the flood, and then it happened. You might even say, just like God said, this will happen with the coming of the Messiah, and then it happened. Just like God said all these things through the mouths of his prophets, this will happen, and then it happened. When God said, the day of the Lord will come, Jesus will come, and when that happens, the earth and the heavens and the things that are done on earth, anything that's ungodly will be exposed and will be destroyed. There is a certainty that that will come true. Now, I want to point us to a few things that Jesus said when he was walking on the earth that help illuminate the fact that not only is this day coming, but there will be ways and things that will illuminate, that will precede, that will give us warnings and signs. So although he will come as a thief, that day will come as a thief, we don't have to be unprepared. Let me point a few of those things out to you. In Luke chapter 12, as Jesus is speaking to uh, those around him, he says this. He speaks it to the crowds. Luke chapter 12, verses 54, 55, and 56. He says to the crowds, When you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, A shower is coming. And so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, There will be scorching heat. And it happens. And then he says, You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Friends, Peter just said, in those days, there will be scoffers, and the scoffing will get worse. We could point you, I could point you to other verses that say that in the, in the last days, things will go from bad to worse. And my friends, it doesn't take a stretch of imagination to look around us and say, it certainly feels like things are going from bad to worse. The world over, things are changing. There's, there's a newness to what is happening around the globe that has not yet happened before this time. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus says this. Let me point you to God, uh, Matthew, uh, sorry, Mark chapter 11. Well, maybe I gave you the wrong reference here. Sorry, Mark chapter 13. Let me correct myself. Mark chapter 13, Jesus said, From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. And you can go back and read Mark chapter 13 and see these things that Jesus is referring to. And I think you'll be able to look around you in the world and say, some of these things are indeed taking place and appearing. My friends, not only because of the actual literal time of year we're in, but spiritually speaking, figuratively the time that we're in, I think I can tell you that the leaves are beginning to bud. There's beginning to be signs that these leaves are going to sprout and bring uh, forth uh, the, the, their fruit and their fullness. And Jesus said, when you look at the tree and you see these things become tender and ready to put out their leaves, you know that summer is near. And he's referring to summer being his return. 
So also when you see these things taking place, he says, you know that he is near. Jesus is near. His return is near. He's at the gates. Friends, I don't think we have much time. And I'm not trying to be an alarmist. I'm not trying to be uh, one of those people that predicts things and says, oh, it's, we're almost there. I'm trying to tell you, not only is this the attitude we should have all the time, regardless, but there is something different that is stirring, that is happening, that seems to indicate that the day of the Lord is very, very near. Which is why I want you to point you, to point you to the second thing I want to bring out of the text that we're reading. And that is the incredible gift of God's grace that we are in the midst of right now. You see, I could take you back to verse 9. I jumped over it as we're kind of working through it again. But at verse 9 says that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. I just hopefully just convinced you that this promise is short. It will happen. The day of the Lord will come. But the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. But he is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Can I point out a few key words in that verse? God is being patient. That is the Greek word makrothumeho. You don't need to know that word necessarily. It means just that. It means patience. It's made up of two words. Makros, which means long or big, but long and thumas or thumeho, which is the verb, which means passion or heavy breathing or anger. God is slow to be getting angry. He is patient with us. What this is referring to is the fact that we deserve the world, the earth, all the ungodly things that are happening on the earth. It deserves God's punishment and judgment and destruction. And he has said it will happen, but he's also said, I am being patient for I don't want people to have to experience my judgment. I want everyone to not have to be destroyed, but to come to repentance. God is being patient. God is being full of grace. And this idea of a patient and a a full of grace God, a, a merciful God, this is not just a New Testament kind of idea. In fact, when God was revealing himself to Moses long, long, long ago, I just want to read to you Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. As God is revealing himself and the character of who he is, this is how he refers to himself. Listen to these words. Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sins, but who will by no means clear the guilty. This is God. Look what he says. Merciful and gracious, slow to anger. Friends, what God revealed in himself in Moses centuries ago He is displaying to us today still. God is not slow in keeping his promise, but he is displaying patience to us. He is slow to anger so that he can display his mercy and his grace. He can be faithful and forgiving those who have sinned against him. This is how he's revealed in all of scripture. But let's not make a mistake. In his letter to the Romans, Paul says this, and I want us to see this today in connection with God's slowness, God's patience, his being slow to anger and judge the sins of the world and the sins of even his own people. In Romans chapter two, verse four, Paul admonishes us. He says, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Now, friends, pay attention. 
At the end of Romans chapter 1, it's very clear that God uh, is talking about the, the, the sinfulness, the, the complete ungodliness of those who thumb their nose towards God, who want nothing to do with Him, who are so drifted away from Him, have so hardened their heart against Him. Then you see just the, the stages, and, and we can all look at the world around us and say, boy, they fit, this, they fit this picture of Romans chapter 1 very clearly. But in chapter 2, Paul turns and he says, I'm no longer talking about those ungodly people out there. I am now talking to those who claim to be believers, who want to stand in judgment of those people I was just talking about. And he says, be very careful because I see, and this is God's inspired word, I see in those who call themselves by my name some of the same things I see in the ungodly culture around them. And then he says, do you presume upon the kindness of God? Do you presume upon the patience and the mercy and the grace he's giving you? Don't you know that God's grace is meant to lead you to repentance? It's the same thing Peter just said in chapter nine, or verse 9 of chapter 3 of 2 Peter. God is not slow as some would count slowness, but he is being patient toward us, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And that's the second word I really want to zoom in on, really want to key in on. Of course, it's the Greek word metanoia. If you spend any time at the church at Riverview here, you've heard me speak of repentance, for it is something that I believe every one of us should be so familiar with. That word metanoia means to change our minds. May I remind you, in the whole of Scripture is the fantastic, solid, full teaching of what repentance is all about. Metanoia in the New Testament means to change your mind, to realize that I used to think wrongly about this and now God has revealed to me what is correct, what is true because he is the truth. But in the Old Testament, the word for repentance is the word shub, the Hebrew word shub, which means to turn away from. Together, change your mind and turn away from is the fullness of the teaching of repentance. And God is being patient with us. He's giving us grace that we stand in right now that we can come to repentance. We can find ourselves changing our minds and turning around. Now, next week when we finish the rest of this chapter, I want to spend a little more time talking about what that looks like, what our response is because of the day of the Lord, the certainty of the promise coming. But let me give you for today just two real quick practical application kinds of things that really fit in right with this. The first is from uh, the letter of James. James chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. Let me read them for you very quickly here. James 5, 7 and 8. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. You see how God is displaying patience? He then exhorts us, we too should be patient. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. Verse 8. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Wait patiently. Endure Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. This is referring to us as individuals. Friends, we're going to talk next week about how to respond. But in the meantime, I want you to know as an application point, in the middle of all this stuff that's starting to frustrate us, starting to look like things may never get back to normal, starting to wonder what it ever was going to look like when we get back to quote-unquote normal, be patient. Establish yourself, your hearts, before the Lord, for you know that that day is coming. But there's a second admonishment, there's a second application, a second word of encouragement I want to give you, and that's from uh, the second letter that Paul wrote to the Thessalonians. Uh, sorry, again, I have to correct myself. First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, and he says this, 
And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Now he packs in just like one little verse, three quick things there that we should be doing. Admonishing the idle. That word idle is very, uh, very interesting. It's the word that means that they're unregulated. They're without regulation. They're, they're without putting things uh, in the correct order. It really means those who are sort of in rebellion towards the church. These are all referring to people that are in the church, by the way, all to brothers and sisters. Admonish the idle. Exhort those who may not have things in the right order in their lives. If I could put it in my own words. Encourage the faint-hearted. Bring exhortation to those who are weak. Help them. And he says, make sure to be patient with all of them. So you yourselves, we ourselves ought to be patient, waiting for the day of the Lord. But also be patient with those around us that we are working with, that we are, are, are in fellowship with, that we have opportunity to bump into it as we admonish them, as we encourage them, as we help them. Recognize that those people may be weak and faint-hearted and idle, have things out of order in their lives, but be patient with them. God is being patient with you and I. Be patient with those around us too, that they too may come to this thing of repentance. And I must now return in closing back to verse 9 of 2 Peter chapter 3. The Lord is giving us this incredible gift of grace. He is being patient towards us. He is being long-suffering towards us. He does not want that any of us should perish, but that all of us should reach repentance, that all of us should have our minds changed, that all of us should have our lives properly rearranged, that all of us should turn away from the things that are ungodly, that are not how they should be. And I want to be very clear here in the end. I want to make sure that I give every opportunity to every person that might possibly hear these words to know what this full repentance is that I'm talking about. I want to make sure we understand the truth of the gospel. And this may be uh, the thousandth time you've heard of it, and I would tell you you need to hear it again. You need to reacquaint uh, yourself with the reality and the truth that makes sure that your mind is believing the right things about how these things are. And perhaps maybe this is the first time you're hearing it in this way, and I want you, to, in either regard, whether it's the first time or the thousandth, to hear it and to receive it today. It is very clear in God's word, friends, that God created and designed every one of us to have a relationship with him. He created us in his image and he created us for his glory that we might have this intimate relationship with him. However, due to our sinfulness, our walking away from him, our bent for doing the way, things the way that we want them to be done, our sin has separated us from God. We can no longer be in fellowship. We can no longer be in relationship. We can no longer be connected with him, though that's what he created us to be. And if I can make that bad news even worse, it's the fact that we cannot pay for our own sins. There is nothing we can do to be good enough, for we would have to be perfect, and none of us is perfect. None of us has measured up to that standard. So our sins cannot be paid for by us. However, I can tell you the good news that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, when the time was right, into our world, into our bodies, into our flesh, into our shape, and he sent him to do what we could not do for ourselves. Jesus paid for our sins by dying on the cross, and he was vindicated. He was brought triumphantly out of that tomb. He was brought back to life to demonstrate the mastery and the victory that God has over sin. So Jesus paid for those sins and that gift of grace, that gift of receiving the fullness of, of what Jesus has done on our behalf that we can be made right with God again, that gift is available to everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ alone. 
What Jesus has done is enough. And we have to only trust. It is a gift of grace. We have to only trust in what he has done. And I can tell you that God intends, it's clear from his word, that God intends that that life with Jesus can begin right now and will go on forever and ever and ever in eternity should we but surrender from our own way of trying to do things and receive what God has done on our behalf in Jesus Christ. Can I ask you today, again, if it's the first time or the thousandth time, God has given you this incredible gift of grace. He's being patient towards you. The day is coming when we will have to answer, where if we have not found in Christ, we will be judged and destroyed with the ungodly. But he has given us this day. Today is the day of salvation. Therefore, Jesus said, do not harden your hearts in this day as they did in the days long ago, but receive the word of truth and help it to save your souls. Would you pray with me, whether it's the first day you've heard this or the thousandth time you've heard this, would you pray with me to receive Jesus? God, thank you so much that you've done through Jesus Christ what we could not do for ourselves. I want to repent today, recognizing that how you have, uh, what you have said in your word about me is true, that you are perfect and sinless. You created me in your image for a relationship with you, but it was my sin that separated me. It was my problem. It's my fault. It's, it's my shortcoming. It's my, my sinfulness that has caused the separation, and I can't do anything about it, but I'm so grateful that you sent Jesus Christ, for he did exactly what I could not do. He died on that cross, and I want to believe and receive and trust in that, and you brought him out of the grave saying, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. He has done everything I've asked of him to do. You took him back up to your, uh, uh, your throne. And when I trust in that, you have said that my sins are forgiven, that I am made whole, that I am now once again in fellowship with you. What an incredible thing, God. I want to receive that. I want to turn away from the things that are foolishness, that are evil, that are against you. I want to turn towards you and receive what you have for me, a life of godliness and peace and righteousness. I know that someday Jesus is coming again and I want to be found ready in him. Thank you for what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.